Hey, everybody, it is Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast uh, being brought to you by Salesforce Vidyard. And we are very appreciative of them and what they're doing. Also being brought to you by Outreach.io as well as Reggie.ai. So if you are looking to up the game for the remainder of this year uh, and well into next year, please be sure to check those folks out. We appreciate their support. Um, really excited to talk to, to Andy because I think I know what he's up to. I think I may have experienced it a few times and uh, really, really excited. So Andy Moet, I hope I said that right. Or is it Moat? You got it. First time Moet. was the term. From gated.com. So Andy, why don't you give people a, a sense of, uh, you, know, you know, as a CEO, what you're doing and what gated is. So they have a, some context from where you're coming from on things. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll start with the uh, the story, but um, I've, I've built sales and marketing machines for 20 years. Um, I've worked at Upwork, Box, and CultureAmp. And as part of that, I've been a buyer and I've been hammered by outbound email. Uh, and so three years ago, I hacked together an email that said, I don't know, to people that were annoying me, SDRs and all those folks, and basically said, I don't know you, um, but and this email won't reach my inbox, but if you want to donate, uh, to my favorite charity. Here's my Venmo link. Have a nice day. I, there was nothing behind it. I just started sending it and my Venmo account got blown up. Um, so I have since built gated uh, into a tool that can help. So, under talk, so when you say blown up, I mean, do you mean, and I, I'm less concerned about, I mean, interesting on the money, but like, oh my God, I started to, ha- you know, I had within a week, I had 10 people make a donation or. Yep. Yes. So I uh, you know, about that number, um, I think it was obvious as a business-to-business buyer at a Series E company, a lot of people wanted to reach me. So people right. were paying and donating. I think some of the things that really blew out were, I started off asking for five cents, then 10 cents. You know, at 25 cents, somebody donated 20 bucks. Um, and they loved the charity that I was benefiting at the time. It was helping veterans with mental health. And so I had that. I had a sales recruiter that said, hey, I know you're charging a quarter. Here's a buck fifty for the six open sales positions you have. We need to talk, right? So it was like not just meeting the prices we were asking, but donating even more to right. it. Right. What um, you know, how, so where are you guys at this stage? Where are you in terms of you know, we're beta, we're coming out of beta, like you know, where are you? Yeah, we're coming out of beta. Uh, we raised uh, a round from some go-to-market thought leaders. In uh, May, June, uh, I went full-time around that exact same time, and we've now hired the team, uh, and we are growing fairly quickly. We've been staying as quiet as we can for a while, but uh, by the time this podcast drops, uh, people probably know a lot more about us. Yeah, no, I've run into you guys a couple of times. I don't know if you have, Scott. Um, and there I, don't, I don't know if I have or not. <laughs> I, I have because I've donated. I've done the donation. You're right, and, Richard. I saw yours. Yeah. That's exactly. um, was he a yeah. cheapskate? I want to know how much he donated. Was he a cheapskate? No, I think it's whatever they asked for. Like if they say a buck or five bucks, um, you know, it's, it's, um, and it's, it's interesting because it's actually a couple of people I really know. Like I have them on text. I have them on things and it's like, oh, you know, now, now I'm, now I don't know you. Um, well, there, there's this neat thing at the bottom that took us a year to figure it out, but it basically says like, here's the amount to reach me if you don't know me. But down here at the bottom is if you know me, click here and you can skip the whole process. 
Um, and uh-huh. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you either saw it or if you were just so intrigued, Richard, that you uh, donated. Probably both. I, you know, I, I, I legitimately have ADHD, so it's probably that I didn't see it. I'm just like, ah, uh, you know, so, uh, but, but anyway, it's, it's interesting to, to see how that works. So that's a really cool thing. How, like, I, I, like, how is it going? Like, what, what can you talk about? Like, we've been able to, you know, collect this many donations just in the, in the beta test, right? Like that, you know, we are doing good for the world, right? Like you're, there's something, it's pretty cool. I'd say there's three ways we think we do well, right? So our, our job is we say we want to make email better for everyone. So on the user side, and you can see it on our website, um, we generally reduce the inbound email flow by between 20 and 40%, like all the stuff people don't know. So we know we're having a dramatic impact on just individual user productivity. Um, on the SDR side, we believe we actually make their lives better too, because instead of sending like 100 emails to get two replies, they're sending 10 to get five replies. And so we're dramatically changing that. We're getting this whole raving group of SDR fans that are saying, can I get gated in more places? And then on the charity side, yes, we are, we are delivering real tangible money to, us, to charities. Um, we've had a couple national charities reach out to ping and engage us. Um, I think in terms of the how is it going, we know senders donate and pay. Um, it's been powerful and, and the percentages that are happening have definitely confirmed that. What we're spending all our time now is really you know, cleaning up the tool before we launch it uh, more publicly so that um, it's just easier and more intuitive for users to use. But um, yeah, things are going really well. It's, it's, uh, our vision is not a small vision. We want to fundamentally fix the world of communication for everybody. Um, and uh, happy to talk a little more about the vision as, as we dive into it. But yeah, things are going well. Well, how do you, how do you plan to attack such a, a grandiose mission to make making communication better for for everybody? You know, right before we hit record, for example, I just said I thought I had all my notifications turned off, and bang bang, here comes two more from some other app on my on my computer or my phone. It's like we're all just getting blasted and bombarded all the time. So like, what is your, your, your vision for, for how we're going to solve that? Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the coolest parts about it, right? We start with email. Um, email is that like universal mm-hmm. identifier in every go-to-market system. Uh, and w- with email, we're starting to understand a very, very detailed relationship graph. Um, I get asked, Scott, just like you, like multiple times a week. Okay. I see you're doing gated for email, but can you do gated for LinkedIn? Can you do gated for phone? Can you do it for text? Um, We have, I think Apple has probably done a fairly good job on on phone and text. Uh, I think there's some people that are fairly well plugged in are truly struggling with LinkedIn right now. Uh, They're just overloaded um, because, you know, the interesting thing about LinkedIn is the marginal cost for a person with two connections and a person with 10,000 connections to reach them is the exact same. Um, and so LinkedIn's email has actually proven our model in a lot of ways, right? Like you, they charge you to reach people you don't know, um, but LinkedIn's got some flaws in that. So we're starting off with email, but there is a broader vision around things like forms. We all know forms are broken, uh, LinkedIn. And, and so we've spent a lot of time thinking about how do we apply this beyond email? Um, but today we're really focused laser on solving the problem with email. Cool. Yeah. So let's, let's- Back up a little bit because I, I, you know, this is fascinating. I know we could go on forever, right? I think we just gave you a pretty cool infomercial. You can go chop this up. Um, 
but where did you even get started in startups? Like, how did you become Hmm. passionate about it? Um, You know, what's your, what's your background there? Yeah, I've got a non-traditional startup background. So first off, I'm non-technical, um, which makes things a little bit harder. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the short version of the long version. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. I, I was East Coast for college, banking, private equity. I ran a supermarket chain in Eastern Europe, and then I came back to the Bay Area. Um, at that point in time, I realized that growing up in the Bay Area and loving the Bay Area, I needed to be in tech to, uh, to be there. So I ended up working at Upwork and figured out what I was really good at, which was a combination of data systems, go-to-market strategy. And um, in the process, I actually broke Upwork uh, or Elance.com by sending to 800,000 IT professionals, right? I sent an email blast to 800,000 IT professionals. And uh, Elance.com was blacklisted for, I think, 30-something days. Oh, my God. that That was my first taste of, like, email infrastructure, right? Like first, first lesson is don't send a blast to a bunch of, uh, yeah, IT, IT professionals that probably <laughs> friends with all, all the different spam houses. So like, I got really smart, really fast on that stuff. I did the, we had a very similar experience, um, at box as well too, where we sent an email to 5 million people, um, to promote our conference and, and had some pain there as well. So I kind of got involved in like email productivity that way. Um, I'd say I got deeper passion about productivity when I ended up running. I read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, it talked about virtual assistants and outsourcing. And so I ended up running a company for three years that outsourced administrative assistance in Philippines and Guatemala. So we had 300 people outsourcing administrative work. And something that people often asked us to do was, hey, can you plug an assistant into my email? And we always said that's the worst possible thing to do because the context level is so high, right? So like a lot of my career's kind of been building to this, but startups wise, it's hard if you're not technical founder to get going. Um, so I've always hired a bunch of upworkers, built little apps. And 90% of the time you roll out an app and people are like, I don't, I don't get what this does. And you shut it down pretty quick. Uh, with Gated, it was different. Like people would get what we do in an instant. And they would start to say, can I have that? And so I did just kind of kept rolling and snowballing um, from there. Well, you said, you said a few times there that you're kind of at a disadvantage by being a non-technical founder. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about the advantages? I mean, there's got to be, you know, a truckload of advantages, at least once you get past the init- initial phase, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you're right, Scott. It's uh, I was actually at a CEO offsite this last weekend, and um, I was talking with a lot of people that were technical co-founders, and they all wanted to be, they all wanted to understand the sales side, and then vice versa. Um, so I yeah. think it's always like you know whatever side of the fence you're on, the grass is always greener. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Like if you can find the team and get past that first little bump, understanding how to really drive things through and sell and market um, things at scale is really important. I remember we. We bought a company when I was at Coltramp and the guys were technical wizards, but they had no idea how to sell it. And um, I think I can see those patterns and understand how to grow and scale a company. It's always been my superpower. So um, for me, I have begged, borrowed and stolen to get to uh, where we're at for the technical side. But now we've got a phenomenal like senior technical leader um, and senior product people that um take that burden off of me. Talk to me about that superpower of knowing how to scale. I love doing it. It's uh, I guess I, my core is 
uh, systems, strategy, the people, the processes, and all that, all how they all line so, up. So let me let me. There are certainly people here who have you, you can sort of pick. Maybe they're, you know, that as Scott said earlier, you know, the seventy million uh, pre-seed round, right? They just got their seventy million um, before Series A. What kind of questions do those people ask, and then what advice do you give them at that sort of earlier stage? Because I think that's kind of what people want to know. There's someone going, oh, yeah, I, I need to know how to scale. Like, what, what are the first couple of things you look for? Yeah, I actually ran a seminar on this on uh, Friday morning um, for <laughs> 20 uh, founders that are non-technical. So it's a really interesting question. There's, you know, I think the biggest thing I always say is every business is different. Um, and so it's hard to apply like cookie cutter approaches. I'd say some of the things that I've learned over time are, you know, don't you hire over hire for those first couple go to market roles, right? Whether that's the head of marketing, whether that's you're talking about over hire in the sense of hire somebody more senior than you think, not like more bodies, right? Just to clarify. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott yeah. would be like, instead of hiring the $70,000 or $60,000 right. SDR, go hire, or instead of hiring two of those people, go hire one, like $140,000, like person that can figure it out and really do it. Cause I think the danger is if you've got a lot of people that don't know how to do it and don't have that pattern recognition, it's really tough. Um, and so, yeah, like when I say over hire, it's <laughs> don't be afraid to pay up for the best talent early. And then over time, your job is to figure out how to clone systematize and, and scale those people. Yeah. Yeah. That's that I see that that's like one of the biggest mistakes I've been part of that. Hey, come in and take the options. Right. Like, you know, and we'll make it up on the back end. Right. So, but I, I do love that, that thought. Yeah. Richard, uh, to your point there, like one of my advisors, you know, when we were thinking about hiring the the head of our engineering, he's like, don't be afraid to give him equity because don't be afraid to give him more equity because you'll make that up in the next round for sure. And so right. I think it's, it's similar with go-to-market people, right? Like if, assuming you have the, the money, like it's going to get there a lot faster by paying up for somebody really short. I got, I got to, I'm going to follow this up with two more questions and I'll let Scott ask one. My first question is great. What do you tell someone who's going from a to B in terms of scaling, right? Because that's a different conversation than early stage. Yeah. And then uh, one of the challenges I've seen is that particularly the technical founders often, you know, they go get their seven or 8 million and then they're just afraid to spend on anything. Like yeah. they just want to let it sit in the bank. So I want to, you know, first, you know, what does that series B scaling conversation look like? And then what advice do you give to those, those technical founders or those sales leaders who are working with those technical founders who won't spend the money? Yeah. So the series B conversation is um, you got to be able to turn like what one person's done into five, six, seven people. I think you also need to be able to there's a, I guess, first off, like technical founders need to be able to sell it themselves, right? They, if, if they can't get in there and sell those conversations, um, it's going to be really hard to bring in some VP of sales and have them do it. And so I always push those technical founders to, to feel comfortable doing it. Um, it's a lot of process replication, but I think yeah, I look at it and I say, if you don't have the marketing engine at the top of the funnel um, and you don't have both brand and demand gen and inbound um, or a really effective outbound motion, throwing more bodies at the bottom end of the funnel is probably not going to make a lot of sense. And so I really push people to figure out the demand side early. And then if, if you don't have that demand engine, uh, don't hire as many people um, 
through the process. Got it. And then the second, that second question was, you know, what advice do you have for that, that technical founder who's to your point, super smart, they can actually even go out and, and get those first 10 customers, but then they don't want to spend the money that they've raised. Ah, interesting question. There's a balance, right? I mean, I, I think you, you can be on the other side where you've burned through it too fast. But at the same time, I mean, I see so many technical founders raising another round when they still have their entire previous round in the bank. <laughs> so um, I, I think there are places where you can get high leverage by putting money down, right? They, investing in your brand, investing in marketing, um, investing in um, community and all those types of things that can have dramatic payoffs long-term versus the quick, you know, maybe Richard, some of what they're worried about is like, if I spend money on a Google ad or a LinkedIn ad, like that's money that I'll never see again. Um, and I think there's the transactional type of marketing. And then there is much more of like, Oh, I see them being afraid right? to spend it on, on the, on the technology at the top of the funnel, whether it's marketing, not even Google ad spend, but like, or, you're talking about like tech, like sales tech and marketing yeah. tech, like tools, you mean? Yeah. yeah. All that stuff. That's, that's what I've experienced. That doesn't mean it's the case everywhere. You mean there's, they're holding back on tool spend. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They just, they just think everything should be done manually. Interesting. Particularly on the sales I, side. I would think technical co-founders or technical founders would be open to the automation. Sometimes I do see people try to automate too early, right? In sales. Um, no, I, they, they, part of it is they don't understand what, what the problem is, let alone what this proposed tool uh, mm -hmm. will do to solve that particular problem. Yeah. Like they, they, don't under, they don't understand. So it becomes a, a battle. And then they're like, oh, this is too expensive. Like, dude, you have $20 million in the bank. I can't get $19 per head for my 10 team sales floor for this tool. Come on. Right. Yeah, but the, that, that, that's what Richard's getting at, at least. Yes. I think. Yeah, no, I, and I get it. I mean, at the same time, like, you know, like I came into culture amp where we were like seven, eight million dollars, and you know they had they had a monstrosity of a sales force because they had bought the tool, but they didn't have anybody to understand how to use the tool. So the danger is <laughs> they spend on sales tech, but then they don't know the people to be able to leverage that stuff, right? Like you could yeah. you could buy Zoom Info, you could buy Clearbit, but if you don't know how to like use those to prospect, like yeah. it's gonna be wasted money for sure. Well, that that's where your ops person or or you know team should come in and, and come in early. I have I have one more question for you about your journey, if you will, and then I want to pivot a little bit back to email. Um, you 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 said before that you know you were a go to market sales leader, whatever you want to call the job title, for about twenty years. Um, Richard was one for about twenty years. I was one for about twenty years. What is it about this like roughly two decade time period where we're all like, fuck this. I don't want to be the VP of sales anymore or the head of sales anymore. I got to go do something on my own. And you either become, you know, uh, you start your own businesses on the side, small solopreneur kind of businesses like consulting businesses or somebody like you is like, I'm going to go all in. I've got the energy and the idea to be, you know, a tech founder now. Um, what do you think it is that we seem to be driven after 20 something years to do something more and different rather than staying in this head of sales go to market function, which presumably we've done pretty well at to be able to keep doing it for 20 years. Here's the great part about like go to market SaaS 
it's a playbook that you keep running and you get better at every time, right? So like if you've seen it two or three times, you're able to just see things other people can't see. I guess I, I'd say maybe, maybe my story is different than yours in that like, I know I really was good at that go-to-market ops. And like, I'm generally the guy that's helping people grow from call it three, four, five million up to a hundred million dollars in revenue. And then I spin out and do the next one. I got kind of- God, He's the guy who comes in and tops you off everywhere you go. Yeah. That's right. I, uh, yeah. I, I always got a little overwhelmed with the bureaucracy when we get to like 100, 200 million. But at the same time, like you can power through that. But for me, I guess I was actually- he, Andy can power through that. I cannot power through that. I'm I'm like the starter and, and Andy's like the middle reliever. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then he's the closer. There you go. You got it. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, I, I guess I'd say I was a little different. I was seriously considering going back, going and doing it again. Um, and I think for me, the opportunity with Gated was so compelling. Um, having seen how flawed email was and just the economic incentives were so broken, I think I got to the point, Scott, where I realized I can't fix it from within, right? And so like no amount of building the 20,000th and first you know, sales MarTech tool is not going to solve a problem that's staring me right in the face. Uh, instead, I've got to go build the first tool to really defend buyers. And so for me, it was much more of like I'd made enough in the career that I was more focused on like this problem just, just, just staring me in the face. And then I frankly had a lot of really good friends and mentors that kept saying to me, like, you should go do this. This is too big an opportunity. And can I hand you some money? Um, and so I guess I was much more of less running away from and more running towards something that I really believe. Yeah. Do, you th- do you think that you would be equally passionate about the opportunity to solve this particular problem if you hadn't had some of the successes that you had financially in particular? Because when you're talking about, you know, this opportunity was so big, some people might be listening thinking, well, yeah, the opportunity is big. When you're a founder, you're going to make, you know, 20% on an exit versus 1% as a, a VP or something like that. Right. And so they're thinking in terms of finances, but you are talking about the opportunity to solve this particular problem, a real problem. Does that, has that changed or is that, is it easier to be focused on the problem when you're more stable financially? You don't have to worry about that as much. That's true. I think, you know, having a wife that's also professional, um, certain, and, and having been later in career is nice. I mean, at the same time, you see these 23 year olds starting companies all the time. Um, so I guess there's no perfect time. I, I read an, I read an article recently and uh, that quoted Mark Pankus is saying, he's like, he looks for those founders that care so deeply about the problem. They're more worried about the problem getting solved than like their specific company succeeding. I mean, I definitely want to do both, but like, yeah, it seems it seems to me that the, the perfect scenario there are people who've like already made it, or as you said, the 23-year-old who like doesn't fucking care and, and will just sleep on couches and it doesn't it doesn't have like the same kind of uh you know monthly nut and family to to you know take care of and things like that. Like those are the two sweet spots, it seems like to me. I think you're that that's my impression to some degree, although at the same time, like even mid-career, like if you've got the right support network, um, you know, in today's world, starting a company and failing, but failing, you know, with maturity and, and integrity, I think is okay. And so I kind of look at it as we're going to work our tail off to change this, this market. If we fail, uh, we fucked up that part about failing with maturity for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not, I've never even matured. I've fucked up the maturity part just in general. So there's that. <laughs> 
What? So let's get back to like the email and the problem and everything. Is is pay to play basically? Is that the future? Like you got to pay to get into my inbox. You got to pay a little more to guarantee a response from me. Um, whether it's charity, whether it's just like pay me and that this is like a freelancing side hustle kind of income thing for me. Like, is this, is this the future is, is the only way to get in touch with somebody to pay one way or the other? Yeah. I mean, take a step back, right? Like in 2004, Bill Gates was at a conference and someone said, Bill, aren't you worried about email um, overload? And he said, no, I'm not. Um, somebody's going to figure out how to put a monetary incentive on it. This is the classic problem of the commons, right? Which is, there's no incentive for every individual sender to like not send something, even if it's like very low relevance. And so I look at it as, I mean, is play to play the future. Like that's not the mission that we're on to like try to put a monetary to, to, to like move, make every movement and every behavior chargeable. I think what we're trying to do is we see a fundamental, like people are abusing email as a medium similar to the way they're like abusing the environment or abusing anything else. And if you put the right cost on something, it can, it can have, <laughs> we probably shouldn't be getting a lot of emails saying like, Hey, do you want to buy this customer list from some random Microsoft uh, or like MSN or, or MySpace account? Um, we probably shouldn't get be getting a ton of like, Hey, do you want to outsource a bunch of random devs to random places that like, I'm not even in the market for that. And so I think our vision is, we're not necessarily charging for people's time. I think a lot of people have tried that and failed. Um, I think we believe we're charging for attention, right? So if I put that email in Richard, the person who you sent to his inbox, that person can spend a second on it or they can spend the rest, you know, they can build a deep relationship with you. It's their call. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that have failed at like charging for time. So it's, it's kind of one of those aha moments we've had, Scott, which is um, we're maybe not pricing the recipient's time or pricing more like that attention and that deliverability um, versus versus time, I guess. So long-winded way of saying, I'm not after, we're not after putting a, mar a cost on everything. Um, we think it's more around, there's this scarce resource, which is people's attention. And we want to allow people to focus a lot more. It's funny, I just finished reading the book, uh, A World Without Email, uh, right? And in theory, that would conflict with a lot of what we're doing if you just look at the title. But like I read deeper and deeper and the guy's right, which is it's about like focus and being able to like spend your time on the right things that are relevant to you versus like dealing with a lot of junk that's coming through. And, you know, the cost of somebody to send an email to you right now is free. Um, and so they do. And they send a lot of things that, frankly, if you put a penny or a nickel or a dime on it, they probably wouldn't send Will you, will you reverse it? Will you reverse it? So if I'm the SDR, I can say, hey, Andy, I'm going to make a $10 donation if you'll take time to talk to me about this. We have thought about that. Um, we think it may not look good from our brand perspective to have SDRs pushing something. And also it's a complicated sale, right? Like SDRs win when something is super simple. Um, you know, it's like, I am selling X value prop versus like, mm -hmm. here's this, here's this money and this thing. And there definitely have been a lot of startups that have tried like SDRs bringing money to you. I think we're much more in the mind of, we want to make, if we make the user effective, um, that's successful. Although there's definitely a viral um, element to, to that reverse that we've been thinking about as well too. Sure. No, that, that's interesting. So, so you, you go and you do this, right? You put gated and let's say it goes and it goes and it goes. Will you be done or will you do another one? 
Like, are you, are you the perpetual entrepreneur who just always needs to keep their hands working, their mind busy? I'll never stop working. Um, I always enjoy it, but whether that is full, you know, there's an intensity to starting something that's all consuming. Um, and so I think I enjoy helping a lot of people out with careers and, and guidance. And so um, if, if this thing is wildly successful, I don't think I would be doing another one. Um, I think I would be helping people out in, in different ways, maybe similar to what you guys are as advising and, and guiding others through the problems. I think I really enjoy that as well. Sure, sure. You talked, I think I heard you say something. You mentioned something earlier around mental health. Is that something that you... I, I didn't, but I, I think a lot about it, right? Do you? I, I'm curious because, I you know, there's this altruistic piece of gated. I mean, it's all, it's an altruistic play. Like, yeah, it's it like, Hey, you know, as, as a, there's a VC, I know uh, if you want an introduction and he only does things that are double underlined one mm -hmm. that they solve a problem and two that they do good in the world. That's all he'll do. Um, when he, when he invests in places. So how do you, how do you see that? How do you see this altruism, and how it affects the salesperson or the SDR? Like, what is, what is some of that sort of intangible that they oh, the Well, I guess there's a bunch, right? I mean, at a fundamental level, yes, we're, <laughs> we see the problem. Um, we're trying to fix the problem, but it's not all about like taking all the money for ourselves. Um, I think the, the charity, A, is powerful, um, right? I don't know if I gave you the stat, but 40% of people that donate, donate more than the minimum we ask for, right? So if, if a user sets a $2 donation, we'll offer a five and a $10 price point. 40% um, of those people are picking something more than the minimum, right? So there's that just in and of itself. And I think most of that, there's kind of two motivators there. One is I want to get noticed um, by, the, by the prospect, but the other one is like, wow, that charity means something. Um, we can't maybe parse those two out, but there's tremendous power there. I also see, you know, you talk to people and I'll give you a story that may, especially since one of you guys, I think is in Texas may, may tick some people off, but uh, so caveat on the politics side. Uh, and we definitely- I like, I like pissing Texans off. So. That's good, that's good. Yeah. So, and we obviously, you know, we very much believe that within a, within a framework of, of public safety and things like that, like people should be able to pick their own nonprofit. Um, but I was talking to one woman and she said, I'll, I'll pick um, Planned Parenthood. And I was like, whoa, you know, you're going to piss some people off, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm okay with that, right? So I think there's this fascinating twist to uh, Richard that people start to put their own identity and they're tying their identity with what we're doing as well. Um, and that's both like one of the most powerful things about Gated, but it's also the thing that we've got to overcome that early adopter phase where, you know, Gated is normal, Gated is usual. Um, to, and if we can overcome that early adopter phase, this thing really takes off. So there are so many different aspects that to the charity. And I think there've been a bunch of other businesses that have really experimented with the buying behavior changes more than you would think just by putting charity in there. Um, so for us, it's, it's been a fun thing to figure out and it's buying that more we're wiring money to another yeah. define that more. The buying experience has changed. What does that mean? Because I'm all about not the buyer's journey, but the buyer experience, right? It's never been about the, the journey. It's always been about the experience, right? Um, how do, what does that mean in your mind? Yeah, it's like you want to, I mean, we want to leave every single person interacts with Gated with a good feeling because that, you know, builds the brand as well too. So it's not just around how do you 
capture money from, you know, Richard, you, you paid and you donated through the platform, right? And so you had an experience and hopefully that experience was a good one where the next time you see it and the next time you see it, it'll, it'll happen. I've seen right? it a second. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times and, and, it, and it has also made me go, maybe I should do that. I know Scott's sitting here going, I'm definitely doing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, yeah, to, to answer your question, buying experience, I mean, I think we look, I've seen some, like at Culture Amp, my last company, we heavily benefited from an amazing brand. And so I think we're investing really heavily in not just how do we get money from people and, and change it, but like, how do we create a movement? How do we create... Um, how do we create like an experience that um, feels good? So the next time you see it, you're like, you have a positive vibe to want to be able to do it again. I think a lot of people are very transactional, right? Um, and we're trying to be less transactional, more relationship oriented. New line item coming into uh, sales budgets. Oh, yes. Email donate. Yeah, you're going to have to have a, a budget set aside per rep per month. Right. You get where we're headed. Yes. It's yeah. very similar to Sendoso, right? Um, Sendoso, sure. Chris at Sendoso was one of our first users. Um, he's uh, one of our first investors. Um, he got the concept. But yes, like there are plenty of examples where people give SDRs extra money. Um, I think Vidyard sponsored you guys. You mentioned like sure. people send sending customized videos, people sending packages, people um, yeah. sending coffees. This is just, so Scott, you asked around like, Hey dude, are you turning everything into a charge? I'm like, no, this, this has already happened. It's just yeah. people are, people are paying all around the edges and we're just kind of focusing people on what's going on and the behavior that's already happening already. Yeah. I mean, what's the value of a new opportunity for a B2B SaaS company? $2,000, $3,000. I mean, that's very, very conservative. Yeah. You know, number right there. It could be 10, 20 X that. Easy. Yeah, if your ACV is much higher. And so if you think- well, or, it's, or if your product is super sticky and, and you know they don't churn and the LTV goes for five years, seven years, or if there's a lot of upsell, cross-sell kind of opportunities and the account expands, it's like, you know, good Lord. You, so people would, you'd spend God knows how much, right? And that's what I hear consistently from marketers, which is like, of course, I yeah. spend the $2 or $3 to 50x my reply rate to an email. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, getting sort of, well, not sort of, we are at the end. Um, Want to give a quick shout out to Vidyard, to Salesforce, to uh, Reggie.ai, and to Outreach.io for sponsoring this. But we always turn this over to you, Andy, um, you know, to our guest. What would you like to ask us? What do you think behavior-wise we have to change to, uh, to succeed? I mean, it's, uh, you guys have a really good sense for what we do. You, you've both experienced it and been on the other end of it. But um, what, are those, what are those barriers to, to broad adoption that we're not thinking about? I don't know that you're not thinking about it, yeah. um, but I think, you know, the obvious is, you know, your competition isn't a Sendoso or an Alice or something like that. Your competition is every other sales tool out there, right? Like <laughs> it was every other top of the funnel piece, right? I just did a session last week on budgeting and I came up with about 18 or 20 things that could be in your sales stack, right? And so that's what you're competing against. Um, I can send you the list if you want to see it, but 
that's what you're competing against, right? I agree with you. And, I think one unique, the one unique thing we have is we aren't selling to those people. We're selling. Yeah. It's, but, so it's, it's, it's interesting because the, uh, the Gartner guys were like, oh, there's marketing automation. And then you guys are the first buyer automation, right? Like That piece I see is different. That's the part I see is different, but it, you'll still be competing for something. You'll still be competing for some other resource, right? Um, I, I can only assume there's some level of yeah. IT legality piece or security or, you know, if a fortune company is going to come along and implement something like this, you know, what are their... SOC 2 compliances for asking for money, what are their, um, I don't even know if it's SOC 2, but whatever those things are, you know, what's your server and your payment structure, is that secure? Like I, those are the things that just sort of, that I think will, for the bigger deals, right? For the, for the, for those true enterprises. Um, and maybe that's not even where you play right now. Right now you're just playing in the green field of startups, right? And up to series A, B, or C, or something where they, they can move fast, right? Um, but you'd have to tell me otherwise. So I think that's probably one thing. I think um, I think it'll be an easy thing to replicate. So I think competition could come quick. Um, and so that you just, again, you need to be the, the, the leader and the thought leader there. Um, it also sends validation when that happens. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll let Scott jump in. He's usually deeper on this stuff than I am. Well, I, th I think you just need the power users, if you will, or, or the the influential people in the industry who can kind of kick off some uh, some network effects. So you got you got Chris from Sendoso. Great, you need a hundred more of those, right? <clears throat> and then those people kind of spread it and and uh, bolster your brand. And I think getting pretty involved with um, what's going on on the ground floor. Like you got to go where salespeople are. You got to go where sales managers are. So, <clears throat> you know, whether those are events or, you know, communities or things like that, I think that kind of participation <clears throat> will breed familiarity with the tool and, and get them using it. But really, I think it's, it's the more the power use. It's the CEOs and the VPs out there who are getting bombarded all day long, right? That are most likely going to be the first people to kind of adopt this. And so that just comes from making those relationships. And then from the other end, the, the seller end, you know, you just got to show the difference in the numbers. It's got to be like, I sent a, you know, 500 messages, Normally, <clears throat> I send 500 messages through gated. Here's the results. Wow, big delta. This was the spend. This was the yield. That, that's super compelling, and that's easy to get budget for it from a VP of finance or, or, C, or CFO, whatever you want to call it, um, when you've got that kind of kind of data. So, I, I mean, I, I've been talking about this for a couple of years after Bill Gates in 2016, I remember talking about, you know, somebody basically paying to get into my inbox and paying a little bit more if I was guaranteeing them a response. So not altruistic of me whatsoever. No, that was the one part that got me. But the same idea of this, like, how do I ensure deliverability as a seller? And how do I ensure responsiveness as a seller? And 
you know, it's interesting to see us continue to head this direction. And I think it's going all yeah, the way. Scott, maybe, maybe we do a, uh, we, we create part of now that now, you know, obviously as an entity of surf and sales, we create a, Hey, you're going to donate to the surf and sales foundation. We actually, you know, we actually give the money away, Scott, right. And give it to, you know, some of those inner city things. I know that, that our buddy Henry does to get kids in San Francisco into the water and stuff like that. So, well, well, Andy can create like a special link just for surf and surf and sales. And then anybody who messages us for the month of October, right. As, as, as part of the whole, you know, release, boom, let's, we'll see what we can do. There you go, Andy. There's love, a, here's your opportunity to do a shout out for your foundation and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll change uh, my charity uh, for October. Yeah. yeah there we go. There you go. <laughs> Awesome. Andy, this has been cool. I'm so glad. Like, I, I honestly was like, why do I know this guy, Andy Ma? And then I saw your, your background because I had, didn't do, we don't ever do research. Right. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I think this is gated. I'm so excited to talk to you about a thousand things. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. No, it's been great, Richard. I mean, you guys totally get what we're doing and uh, really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I scribbled down a couple interesting uh, thoughts off of it. So I, I love these. I always learn. Cool. cool. Keep up the good work, man. And congrats on the launch. Thanks guys. Thanks Andy.